Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate that very, very much. Take your copy of the Word of God tonight and turn to, in the Old Testament, the book of Judges. Would you go there with me tonight? Judges. And uh, you can, uh, we're going we're gonna to hop around through it, but you can start with me. Let's just say Judges 14. That'd be a good place to, to mark the starting point. I am going to have you look back at chapter 13, but uh, we'll start in chapter 14. While you're looking for it, let me say howdy to you and say thank you again uh, for being here. I do take a little bit of time, and my pastor told me one time, he said, you take forever to, uh, you ramp up before you ever get to preaching. And I said, yeah, I, I tend to do that, but I'm just so appreciative of people being at the service. I just want to I just want to say some things and say thank you for coming. I know that you've had a number of things going on today, and uh, it's just another beautiful spring day here in Indianapolis, and maybe you worked in your garden, washed your car, uh, or maybe stayed inside. I don't know what you did, but the case may be, whatever it may be, you were busy probably. I've had a very profitable day and uh, getting a lot of uh, things accomplished uh, I, we have to take our office on the road as we do and, uh, and just getting things uh, taken care of. And I was sharing some of that with Pastor just a moment ago. It's been profitable and helpful. And I couldn't wait uh, to get ready to be here tonight as I spend much of the afternoon studying and looking forward to presenting truths from the Word of God. So I'm glad you're here. have no idea what you had to do to get here, but I thank you for coming. And uh, if you ate on the run and you came running in the door to get here, uh, I'm glad to know Thompson Road is much like every church I'm in in America. That is, you scare me to death about 10 till 7, 5 till 7, 3 till 7, in about 45 seconds till 7, you come in the door. So thank you for being here. And uh, if you had to come straight from work, grateful for you. And uh, I am thankful for all of you. Hey, if we've not met yet, I sure want to meet you. I think tonight, I've been kind of hanging out down here uh, after yesterday's services. I think I'll make my way to the back. I was thinking uh, folks would flow this way. And I did meet some of you that way, but I think I'll head in the back. And so when I'm finished here in two and a half hours, I'll just stand. Thank you. Some of you were hesitant on that giggle, weren't you? You weren't real sure. Is he, is he telling the truth or not? I'm not real sure. I heard him yesterday. I'll stand in the back and um, I want to make sure I, I greet you and, and say hello to you if we've not met. As of it. Thank you for your warmth, your friendliness, and for just, just coming out. I really do thank you uh, for doing that. I just so regret that you couldn't meet. Uh, Lynn, some of you would remember her from the, the last time we were here in 2017, but uh, I, uh, I wish you could be able to meet her again, and she is dreadfully sorry uh, that she's just not been healthy enough to come. You know, living on the road, we tend to sometimes pick up stuff as we travel, and uh, as a result of it, it kind of caught up with her, and it just won't let her go, and, uh, and so I'm so sorry for that. Because of the cancer that I've, I've battled uh, with for now, I say battled with, been in remission for the last four and a half years, I still take medicine for it, and uh, that medicine is sent to us to our home address. The company will not ship it to us to where we're, wherever we are on the highway, and so uh, I am, tomorrow she is flying back to our home and uh, picking up that medicine and then and then forwarding it on to me and so that I can um, keep fighting off 
this uh, stuff that the Lord has allowed me to uh, be in remission for. I talked to you about that yesterday. Enough of that. Have I given you enough time to find the book of Judges? All right. Have, have, you, have you found it yet? All right. Enough of the ramping up. You know, I love the Old Testament narratives. Yesterday, we spent time in the New Testament. I love, I love, oh, I just love my Bible. I love to read through the portions of the Bible that, that uh, teaches so many Bible principles. I love the Old Testament narratives, the stories that present to us Bible principles uh, presented in the lives of individuals that were uh, servants of the Lord, <coughs> workers in the work of God. And when we come to the book of Judges, we find the lives of individuals who God used to help deliver God's people from the enslavement to other nations. One of the perennial enemies of Israel were the Philistines. You know that. And God would bring judgment upon Israel because of their unfaithfulness, their disloyalty to Jehovah God. And the Philistines became the the controlling leaders or factors ruling over Israel for a time. And God sent a man to be, and I know we call it a judge, the word judge here means deliverer. Don't picture a guy sitting up in a courtroom on a, on a, uh, in a high elevated position with his, uh, with his robes on and passing judgment on people. The term judge means deliverer. Folks like Gideon, Barak, Ehud, Deborah, and some of the others were the judges, the deliverers of Israel. Up and down and up and down. The people of Israel uh, suffered up and down their loyalty to the Lord and then they were delivered and they'd be faithful to the Lord for a few years and then fall back into the enslavement of another country. And along comes a miraculous birthed young man. And when I was a little boy, I heard the story of this guy named Samson. And I'm going to tell you something. As a boy growing up, I have no idea what the story of Samson meant to the girls in our little children's church program as, as we went out uh, at services and, and we had our special Sunday school, our youth, or our junior church program. I have no idea what the story of Samson meant to the girls. But I'm going to tell you something. The story of Samson was a guy story. We loved it. And I'm so old that I can remember seeing... The story of Samson displayed for us on a flannel graph board. You know what a flannel graph board story is. Can I get a witness tonight? You know what I'm talking about? I'm a dinosaur. The truth is, I can remember young people Google it sometime. It was a, it was a great way to present the drama of the Bible. Now, I don't have any idea because I can't remember the image that was slapped up there on that flannel graph board of Samson. I can't remember if he was some muscular, well-built, uh, uh, strong-looking guy that would look a lot like, never mind, uh, just an extremely, I don't, I, don't, I don't remember if he looked that way, but if it did, it would have been, been incorrect. 
Because Samson didn't look like some guy that was on steroids ready for the World Wrestling Federation. Because they couldn't figure out what the secret of his strength was. You see, God used all of these deliverers in different ways. Gideon with his 300 men. Gideon fearful. But he didn't even have to, have to lift a sword up. They just shouted and busted open the, the pitchers in the darkness and lit their torches and, and the Midianites killed one another. Ehud uh, killed Eglon as a left-handed judge. He just killed the, the one king and, and then God's people rose up and began to defeat the enemy in his day. On and on, Shamgar had what was called an ox goad. And with an ox goad, he just would whip people. Just unusual. But Samson, I think we all know his story. And the fact is, his story covers so many uh, pages of the Old Testament that we wouldn't have time to cover it all. But I want you just to see a few of the designated things that I want you to see. Let's, let's go back to chapter 13. Look at the last two verses of chapter 13, and you'll see that it says, And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. By the way, do you know what the term Samson means? It means sunshine or sunny boy. Samson had a, had a gregarious, outgoing Sunshine personality, and probably they called him Sonny Boy. He was the kind of guy that would light up the room, pun intended. He was a guy who was, he enjoyed people, and he, he, could, he, was, he was noticeable. His name was Samson. And then it says, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. In that one verse, we see his birth, we see his physical growth, to young adulthood to the point to where God began to, when the Bible says he blessed him, it simply means he began to use him. The next verse says it further. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. Now that's in the northern part of Israel. God began to move and use him. So in two verses, we see his, his story mature in front of us. It's an amazing thing. And then we come to chapter 14. And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother. And he said, I've seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of your brethren or among, the, uh, or among all my people that you go to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And look at how much Samson wanted to discuss it with his parents. It simply says, And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. You see, Samson knew that it was time for him to, uh, to seek marriage. And mom and dad always arranged the weddings, the marriages. I mean, they literally would go over and knock on uh, another uh, Israelite door and they'd say, we notice your, your young daughter is of marrying age and our boy needs a wife. And how much would it cost? What would it be the dowry uh, for us to purchase 
uh, your wife. I've often asked teenagers, are they glad that culture has changed to some degree? You know, the truth is, Samson knew that it was time for him to get married. And he says, I don't want you to choose who I'm going to marry. I've got a Philistine woman that I want to marry. And I've, I've picked her out. And they said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, Samson. Uh, don't you want to get a, a Hebrew girl? Don't you want to get somebody from our, our world? Uh, uh, don't, don't go to that uncircumcised uh, Gentile Philistine crowd. And Samson said, I don't want to discuss this with you. I found the one I want. Now get her for me. She pleases me. Well, you hang on to that. We'll come back to it later on. Go to, go to chapter 16. It says in verse 1, Then went Samson to Gaza. And he saw there a harlot and went in unto her. And it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson is come hither. And they compassed him in and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city and were quiet all the night, saying, In the morning when it is day, we shall kill him. And Samson lay till midnight and arose at midnight and took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and went away with him, bar and all, and put them upon his shoulders and carried them up to the top of a hill that is before Hebron. Look, I'm telling you, when I was a little kid, the story of Samson amazed me. It just amazed me. God gave him miraculous strength and God came upon him to fight battles with large crowds of people. Later on, we could read where Samson picked up the jawbone, the skeleton of a donkey, and he whipped up a thousand of the Philistine. now, Philistines. I'm just telling you, uh, I don't know if when we get to heaven, there's going to be a video room where we can watch some of these, thing, these accounts in the scriptures. I mean, I don't even know if it's going to be needed or necessary. But there's a part of me that would like to see it. But this is one thing. I'm, about halfway through, I'd be saying, okay, enough blood. You know, I think I've seen enough slaying. Can you imagine? A thousand men fighting him. And, and they just kept coming. And he just kept swinging. And he kills them all off. Amazing strength. An amazing agility for him to be able to swing that, that uh, skeleton of a jawbone of a donkey and whip up on them. Now, we heard that when I was a little kid, but folks, I'm telling you, it really happened. It really happened. I just read to you what else happened. Hey, there was another time in which Samson, this, this fascinated me, in an effort to get back at the Philistines, who had, who had burnt down the house of a woman that Samson used to be, the, the Old Testament word is a spouse, we would call it engaged to, uh, uh, the, the Philistines burnt down her home and her father's home. And in retaliation, Samson uh, says, okay, I'm going get to get back at the Philistines. And he captures, are you ready? 300 foxes. Okay, time out. How do you do that? I mean, seriously, how in the world do you catch uh, 300 foxes? You say, well, he had traps. I'll give you that. He must have had traps. How long did it take? I don't know. But he, and then what do you do with them when you caught a bunch of them? You know, throw them in a pen, you know, of some sort. And I'm sure they got along real well inside that pen. And, and then he would take the tail of one fox. And then he took the tail of another fox. And he tied their tails together in a knot. Uh, raise your hand if you think those foxes were real cooperative. While Samson was messing around with their tails, you know. 
Now go ahead, mister, do what you want to do back there. I mean, they were probably trying to bite him and snap at him and howl and whatever noises they would make. And then that wasn't all. He took a torch. He would take a, he took a torch uh, and, he, and he, he, he drove it up through that knot of their two tied uh, tails and he lit their torches. So you've got 150 sets of foxes that are going out of their mind with, with trying to break loose other fox that they're tied to. And on top of that, they got this fire burning on their backside, you know, and they're trying to get away. And so they go through this, this tug of war and then Samson releases them out into the grain fields of the Philistines. Can you imagine the farmers as they stood up and they looked out there and they begin to see their fields begin to burn because they couldn't see the, the foxes down low to the ground and they, all these full grain uh, uh, fields all of a sudden begin to burn down and they said, what's going on? And then eventually uh, they saw the foxes running like crazy animals all over their fields and someone said, who did this? It was Samson. Now where did he get the idea for that? I don't know. But I just think it's cool. I mean, I, I just think that is just some cool story. It's clever. Can I tell you, Samson was not, a, he was not unintelligent. He was not an idiot. I mean, I'm telling you, that was, that was intellectual. That was pretty creative. The story we just read. He went into the house of a harlot, a prostitute. Something he often did. This actually was the second uh, loose woman that he had gone to in Philistine country. And when he got up into that city of Gaza and got into her home, the men of Gaza said, we've got him. We've got him now. He'll come out early in the morning. He'll come out in the middle of the night. We'll gather together. We'll hang out by the closed gates of the city. You see, they closed the gates of these cities at night to protect the inhabitants of the city of Gaza, a, a city of the Philistines. And, and you had giant walls around the city and you had gates. And so whatever gate Samson came in at, they closed it up. Now historians tell us those gates weighed anywhere between one to two tons. It takes several men to push those gates, close them up at night, and two posts would fall down into holes and then they would have some kind of a lock mechanism to lock them down so that the people would be safe at night. Then in the morning they would, uh, they would release all the locks and, and lift up whatever posts were there and, and those men would push the gates open so commerce and travelers could come and go into their city. But they were closed at night. They said, we got him. When he comes, we'll be ready. He won't see us coming. And I, the Bible doesn't tell us how many men, 40 50, 70, 100, I don't know. Can you see them? They're taking turns watching the door, you know, on guard. And they got, they got their swords, they got their spears, they got their knives ready to go. And the Bible says that, that uh, Samson came out at midnight, middle of the night. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about those men. But put yourself in the story. They're, they're, they're hanging out around the gate. They're in behind bushes. They're behind rocks. They're behind a spe special place of hiding. And can't you see them go, here he comes. Here he comes. Wake up, Leroy. Here he comes. And Bible says that Samson goes over and he takes those gates. He grabs one of those posts. He grabs the other post and just goes, rip, pulls it right out of its 
hinges out of its moorings, puts it on his back, and he walks through that opening. And I think if you study the Hebrew, you'll find that he whistled the tune to the Andy Griffith show as he was doing it. I'm not real sure, but I think that's what happened. As he just kind of walked through there, as he walked through there, he, the Bible says he, he carried those gates up to the top of the hill toward Mount Hebron. I have studied what other men say the distance is. And I studied it again this afternoon, and it's almost incredible to find that he carried those gates minimum of seven miles. Many people believe as much as 37 miles. Can you imagine the Gazites going to look for their gates? I found it over here. You know, they're drinking their water and trying. I mean, they've been camping out at night trying to find their gates. It's 30 some odd miles up the top of the hill. You know, I have a hard enough time carrying my own weight up, up some hill somewhere along the way. Can you imagine carrying those gates? You say, well, what happened to those men? Oh, come on. Put yourself in their position. Can you imagine? They're going, here he comes, here he comes. And they watch him go over and they, he rips up their gates and takes it out the door, out through the opening. I can imagine somebody said, I'm not messing with that guy. You know, I, I'm not having anything to do with him. I mean, he, he can have the gates. I mean, he'll, he'll take two fingers and rip my head off. That's Samson. I wish the story could stop there, but you know what happens. Look at verse 4 of chapter 16. It came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines, interpret that to mean the governors, the rulers of the Philistines, came up unto her and they said unto her, Entice him and see where his great strength lieth and by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him and we will give thee every one of us 1,100 pieces of silver. There were five governors. Each one of them would give 1,100 pieces of silver. Is your math okay on a Monday night? 5,500 pieces of silver. And that lady was thinking, I will be set for life. I will, be, I will find out what his strength is. Here's Samson who could take on great crowds of people, but he, he was weak in the presence of one woman. And she began to work on him. You know the story. And Samson dallied around and he played around. Take some bow strings that have never been used before and tie me up and I'll be weak like any other man. It was not true. Tie me up with some ropes that have never been used and he just snapped them off. Tie up my hair. Uh Uh-oh. He's getting close to a real serious issue now. Tie my hair up with the small loom and, 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 and I'll be like any other man. But that wasn't the case. And the Bible says in verse 15, And she said unto him, How, canst you say, how can you say I love thee when your heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him, so that his soul was vexed unto death, that he told her all his heart. And he said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon mine head. Don't forget this. For I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. 
And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he has showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man, and she caused him, caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. She began to afflict him. And his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep, and he said, I'll go out as at other times before. I'll just shake myself. And he knew not that the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass. And he did grind in the prison house. Story of Samson is a compelling, unique story. Samson was a man who was born of godly parents. They had been told from God, your boy will be the next deliverer of Israel. Make him a Nazarite from birth. I suppose you know what that was. A Nazarite vow taught from the book of Numbers to the people of Israel was a vow of separation unto God. And a Nazarite would, for a season of time, whoever went under the vow would say, I'll not take any fruit of the vine. I'll not drink any fruit of the vine. I'll eat no grapes. I'll not cut off my hair for that season of time. And I'll not touch the dead carcass of a body of a, of a, of a human or of an animal. And somebody would take that Nazarite vow for a season of time, but Samson was a Nazarite for life. I could show you scripturally, and we've looked at a lot of scriptures already tonight. I could show you where Samson was flippant about the matter of touching a dead carcass. He reached into the carcass of a dead lion, a lion that he killed, that had honey being uh, uh, developed by uh, 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 a honeycomb, by by a bunch of honeybees, and he reached in and he took some honey. He goes, I don't care. I'll do what I want to do. He walked around a vineyard, so he hung out at a vineyard where grapes were with an inference that he took some of the fruit of the vine and he feasted on it. And now he says to this woman, you cut my hair off. You see, I'm separated into God with this Nazarite vow. I'll be like any other man. Now, friends, look, the strength was not in having long hair. The strength was in the fact that he had been committed and devoted to God from childhood. And everything had been going well for him for a long time. And that's why when it was cut off, he said, I'll, I'll just be like any other man. I, can, I mean, I won't be like any other man. I'll go out and shake myself. But the Bible says, one of the most frightening verses in the world, he didn't realize that the Lord had departed from him. They poked his eyes out, which was a terrorist method that the Philistines used to get at their enemy. And then they put him in a grinding room where, like a, where a donkey or an ox would walk in a circle and would circle around and would take a giant millstone and would circle that millstone around and around and around in a circle. They treated him like a dumb animal, ox or donkey. And the Philistines no doubt would stand in an upper area looking down at that uh, uh, area of grinding and they'd mock him. They'd say, hey, where's your God now, Samson? You ain't so tough. We got you now. 
Samson lost his testimony. Samson lost the blessing of God. Samson lost his ministry. Samson lost his effectiveness. I told the teenagers last night, I had a great time with them after the service. Failure is never final. Our God is a God of mercy. And there is a verse I did not read to you yet. I want you to see it. Back in chapter 16, look at verse 22. It simply says, Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. That verse is telling us that somewhere in that prison, Samson said, I repent. I failed you, God. I'm sorry. And the rest of the story tells us that he stood before the Philistines later on and he took those two pillars at a big feast and he said, God, use me one more time. And pulled down or he pushed those posts and 3,000 Philistines died along with Samson. The Bible says more people died at that final judgment that God brought upon the Philistines. Samson made himself available again. Samson was a believer. Did you know that? You say, what do you mean a believer? He had put his faith in the coming Messiah. You say, how do you know that? Hebrews chapter 11, that chapter of faith, tells us that Samson was a man of faith. You see, the truth is most of us only remember the bad parts of Samson. God used him. God used him in a great way. Samson was a man that God had put his hand upon. And for 20 years, Samson was a servant of the Lord in a mighty way. But here he is in that dungeon, no longer effective until the very end. Why did that happen? What did he do? Let me, let me tap the brakes just for a second. You know, there have, been, there have been ministries and there have been marriages that have ended sadly. There have been homes that have been hurt deeply. There have been things that have occurred. I've gone to Christian educational centers that used to be uh, teeming with crowds of teenagers and children, and yet the doors are closed now, no longer effectively being used. I've seen empty church buildings that used to house thousands, certainly hundreds of people that would gather together, and yet no longer reaching their community or their their area. What happened? My heart is saddened by marriages and ministries and uh, uh, homes and things that were used of God that are no longer effective and they have the Samson disorder, the Samson chaos that came upon them. What happened? How come? If you and I could go down in that dungeon and interview Samson, we'd have to go down there with a couple of things in our mind. First of all, we would remind ourselves that God uses all kinds of people. Can you imagine how God used Samson? Isn't that interesting how God used him? But we have to also be reminded about what the Apostle Paul said, that the things which happened unto them, speaking about the people in the Old Testament, the things which happened unto them happened as examples for us. And they're written for our admonition. Wherefore, let him that thinks that he standeth take heed, lest he fall. So before we look down our nose at Samson and say, boy, what a loser, what a failure. Why did you do it, Sam? 
How did you let this happen to you, sonny boy? How come you lost your bright future? How come you shortened your ministry? Why did you hurt your testimony? Why did you have to live in such a way that you lost your honor and eventually your life? Samson, how come this happened? Most of you in this room would say, Morris, I already know. I know what he did that ruined his life. And your answer would be what mine would have been in the early stages of my study. Well, he was immoral. He couldn't, get, he couldn't keep his mind and his eyes off of loose women. He had a problem with immorality, and I'll grant you that. But it started long before that. So back up a little bit, and let's learn from the example of Samson. Because I want you to understand something, what happened to him Though it's tragic in its explanation, though it is dynamic in what we see here, you need to understand that what Samson chose to do started long before his problems with immorality. What were they? First of all, that may scare you. You mean you're on just now on point one? Yeah, but hang on, we'll, we'll move quickly. Number one, he had an abundance of hostility. Samson was an angry individual. Did you note that? Do you remember how he talked to his dad and mom? Get her for me. I don't want to discuss it with you, mom and dad. I found the one I want. Get her for me. It started way back in his home. He said, I know what I want. He was rude to his parents. He was rude to that authority in his life. But it didn't stop there. Go to chapter 14 with me again. And you're going to stay with me as we flip back and forth through the story of Samson. Look at verse 19. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he went down to Ashkelon, and he slew 30 men of them. Now that's Philistines. And he took their spoil and gave change of garments unto them which expounded or explained the riddle. Now notice this last phrase. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. Listen quickly and carefully. Samson had gone to get married. He was, in, he was at his marriage feast. He, had, he thought he'd have some fun. He was supplied 30 Philistine men, and he gave to them a riddle. He told them a riddle about the lion he had killed and the honey that had grown out of it. He said, out of the strong uh, came meat, and out of, uh, out of the uh, animal uh, came something that was sweet. And he said, explain the riddle. They couldn't get it. And so they worked on his, uh, his bride-to-be. They said, you better tell us what the secret is of that riddle. She goes, I don't know. He, they said, you better find out or we're going to burn you and kill you and your, your father. So she began to work on Samson. What is the, what is the story? And he told her. And they came back and they said, here's the, here's the explanation. You killed a lion and you got honey coming out of the lion. And he said, if you hadn't messed with my heifer, I would, you wouldn't have known. Now, gentlemen, I would say you ought to use a different name to explain, uh, a nickname for a pet name for your wife. I think the term heifer might not be good. But he said, you plowed with my heifer and now you know the answer to my riddle. And so he goes out and he kills 30 Philistines and he brings uh, their garments to those 30 men. And the Bible says, and his anger was kindled. 
And then it says he went up to his own father's house. Wait a minute, Samson, it's the time of your marriage feast. You know what's going on here? Samson was saying, I don't want to hang out with you people anymore. I'm going to take my ball and go home like a little child. He was full of himself. He was full of self-pity. He was quick-tempered. He was stubborn to have things his own way. Look at chapter 15 and look at verse 7. And Samson said unto them, Though you have done this, yet will I be avenged of you. And after that, I will cease. And he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. And he went down and dwelt in the top of the rock Edom. Then the Philistines went up and pitched in Judah and spread themselves in Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why are you come up against us? And they answered, To bind Samson, or we come up, to do to him as he hath done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went to the top of the rock Edom, and they said to Samson, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this that you have done unto us? And he said unto them, As they did unto me, so have I done unto them. And like a child that's punching his brother in the back seat of a car, trying to get that last hit in, Samson is full of himself. He's full of stubborn anger. What they did to me, I'm not going to let them walk all over me. What goes around comes around. They started it. You see, it's, it would be easy for us tonight to find fault with Samson with the matter of his immoral tendencies. But let me ask you something. Are you an angry person? Do you let things get next to you? Do you know what it is to blow up at home, on the highway, at work, with people that are family, people who are acquaintances, people you don't know? Are you an angry person? What comes out of you when things don't go your way? That's what's happening to Samson. We almost overlook it. When things don't go the way he want, wants them to go, he was angry. You know, the Bible describes the tongue in various ways. You know what it describes it as? Are you ready? A fire. A poison. A serpent's bite. Arrows. Swords. And every one of those things hurt and destroy and consume. You ever been hurt by somebody's mouth? You ever been hurt by somebody talking about you, saying things that are not true, or even things that may be true that you didn't want them to share or anything? Have you ever been hurt by somebody's mouth? I heard a mother getting all over her boy today in a store. Now, I don't know what that boy had been doing to her. I don't know. And no doubt he needed to be corrected, but in my estimation, the way in which it was handled was with the use of a forceful tongue that was hurtful, not helpful. You say, yeah, Morris, I've been hurt by the tongue. Yeah, I know you have. I don't know of a person in this room who's not been hurt. Hey, can I tell you something else that's really good news? You're going to be hurt again. And now we live in a day of social media. People can say it, and as long as it's online, it must be true. People can say things whatever they want to say. But now let me ask a more penetrating question. 
Have you ever hurt somebody with your mouth? With your speech? With your tongue? The most necessary ingredient for a healthy marriage is to have a, have a mouth that is speaking graciously and forgivingly to your spouse. Many a church has been busted up not because of false teaching, not because of immorality, but because of angry people. And many a home has been disturbed because husband and wife endure one another. They don't enjoy each other. You say, Morris, could you go back and just preach on moral issues because I don't have a problem with that. Let me tell you something. That door will open up later on if you don't deal with this thing first. Bible says in Proverbs uh, uh, chapter 26 and verse 20, it says, where no wood is, there the fire goes out. So where there is no tail bearer, the strife ceases. Proverbs 26, verse 22, the words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Other people make decisions that hurt us. Other people make decisions that cause trouble, heartache, disruption for you. Things go wrong, and it just seems to stack up on you. And when it happened to Samson, he got vengeance in his mind. He said, they started it, and I'm going to finish it. He said, but Morris, isn't that what God did? God used Samson to deliver God's people through his power and of, of strength. Let me tell you something. Samson's vengeful uh, power was not because he was upset at what the enemy was doing against Jehovah God. It was what they were doing against him. He took it personally. I was getting on board a plane not too long ago. <laughs> and our planes are hilarious, aren't they? I mean, the sense that they... Back, I was back in the day when uh, uh, they were telling us out there in the terminal, keep your distance from everybody and make sure you keep your mask on your face and so forth. And so I'm, I got my mask on and, and you, you're trying to keep six feet apart and so forth. And then they said, board the plane. You get on the plane, they go, get in there and cram up next to people, you know. And you, I don't sit that close to anybody except my wife, you know. And you're sitting on that plane, you, you turn and talk to somebody and you just ride up on them, you know. Well, I, I was getting on board this plane. I had a a, a light jacket in my arm and I was making my way over to the window seat and as I was making my way over uh, the jacket that was underneath my arm as I was holding it the arm the sleeve of my jacket fell and evidently uh, hit the shoulder maybe even the the face I don't know where it hit her but the lady in the middle seat the arm of my jacket uh, fell on her as I was going in that tight situation. Her husband, sitting in the aisle seat next to her, grabbed that sleeve, slung it back, and he said, Watch your coat, dude! I got over to the, my, my window seat, and I, I, I thought, I think he's talking to me. And I'm telling you, it just kind of came all over me. 
and my junior high retaliation just wanted to come. I wanted to step out in the out in the in the in the yard and say, "Let's take it outside," you know. I wanted to step over that seat in front of me and say, "Here, eat this seat, pal, dude." I, I, I wanted to do that. I t- I sat there and I thought, "Does he think that I meant to do, do that?" And then it dawned on me. What had happened was it, it hit his wife. And so I leaned forward and I said, ma'am, I'm, I'm sorry that my, my jacket hit you. She didn't say a word, but her husband said, yeah, that's more like it. <laughs> Took me a while to get over that. Other people get angry. Don't you want to just get right back at them? When we landed, wherever we were going, I discovered this is just an angry man. Because as we were pulling up to the, uh, the terminal for them to uh, get the jetway out there for us to walk off, it had not been brought up. We hadn't quite pulled up all the way. And there was a guy on the other side of the aisle who stood up to get ready to go. And the same man that got mad at me said to this guy, he said, Hey, the plane hadn't parked yet, dude. Sit down. And I thought, I'm not the only dude on the plane. How about that? He's just an angry man. You ever had anybody honk at you on the highway and you just want to say, really? What do you want me to do? You ever get mad at somebody because they're not doing what you want them to do? Can I ask you a question? Where's the Holy Spirit in that response? The Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed into the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, which is yelling, be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. How are things at home? When things don't go the way you want them to go, even at church, You discuss it with anger and with... No, there's a place to ask questions. I'm not saying that you can't. But are you an angry individual? Samson showed his departure from what he was supposed to be, starting with this abundance of hostility. There's a sudden anger. There's a stubborn anger. That is, you may find out and after a while, yeah, I may be wrong, but I'm digging in my heels. I'm not going to let go. When I was a kid, my mom used to say to me when I was a little boy, she'd say to me, you better watch your mouth. Every mother says that. I don't know what my mom meant by this. She'd say, you better go back to bed. And you got up on the wrong side of the bed. I had no idea what that meant. It's the only side I could get off. The other side was a window. You want me to fall outside the window? I mean, I don't know what you want me to do. It didn't help. When things get shook up, what comes out of you? Because you're going to get tested. You're going to be tested. Let me think here. Every day. Every day something's going to go wrong. Every day something's going to break down. Every day somebody's going to mistreat you. Every day something's going to occur you didn't want. And Samson was used to having things his way. So he exploded. Are you difficult to talk to? 
Are you unapproachable? Does your wife have a hard time talking to you about something that she's afraid you're going to just blow up about? Hey, let's reverse it, ladies. Do you have a problem to where uh, your husband couldn't talk to you about something without you being explosive too? Or you don't blow up, you just <laughs> clam up. <clears throat> and the kids and the husband says, okay, we'll give her a little time, you know, like maybe three days, and she'll finally be back to normal. I said it a while ago, I'll say it again. Anger has led to more divorce courts, broken churches, and runaway kids than immorality has. What are we supposed to do? Walk in the Spirit. I pray frequently, Lord, help me not to allow things to irritate me, get next to me, and cause me to say something that once it's said, I can't, I can't pull it back in. I can't act in such a way that, that is hurtful to somebody. Anger leads to even deep-rooted bitterness to where you start remembering something that somebody did to you, and then you won't forgive them. And you put yourself in a prison. You want to put them in a prison. You put yourself in a prison because you're an unforgiving, bitter person. And when you finally forgive somebody, you know what you do? You release them from prison and you release yourself from prison. Is there somebody you need to forgive tonight? Is there somebody the very mention of their name brings back things in your thoughts that you just say, I... They hurt my family. They hurt me. They hurt my church. They hurt, they hurt someone I love. And they probably did. And I'm not minimizing some hurt that somebody may have done to you. I am not minimizing it, nor am I making trivial something that somebody's done to you. But when you forgive somebody, what you're doing is, first of all, you're being Christ-like. And second of all, you're saying, Lord, I leave them with you. You can do with them what you see fit. They're not in my control. God, you do what you need to do with them whenever you want to do it, if you do it. Forgiveness is usually a process. By that I mean you, you, can, you can say, Lord, I'm going to forgive them right now. And you mean it. And then probably later on it's going to come back and eat you up again. And you say, Lord, I'm, I, I really mean it. I'm going to forgive them. It's usually going to take some time Forgiveness is a decision, not a feeling. You can sit here at night and say, well, I just don't feel like forgiving. Oh, I don't care about your feelings. The Bible doesn't care about your feelings. The Bible says forgiving one another. How do I do that? Just like God forgave you for Christ's sake. And anybody who doesn't give somebody else mercy doesn't meditate much upon what Jesus did for you at the cross of Calvary. Because when you reflect on what you undeservedly received, it allows you to look at others and say, I forgive them. It makes you a picture of grace. Samson, could you slow down for a moment, Miss Dungeon? Could you tell me something? How did this happen? How did you lose your eyes? How did you lose your testimony? How did you lose your ministry? How did you lose your effectiveness? How did this happen? And he would say to you, oh, it started a long time ago. I just let my emotions guide me. I've been an angry person. Thankfully, he could probably tell you in that dungeon, but not anymore. God's broken me. And the hair of the head began to grow again. 
as he repented. He had an abundance of hostility, and with this I'm finished. He had the absence of humility. Now you got to back up to see this. Get, you got to come out of that dungeon and see this. You say, what do you mean the absence of humility? God was trying to get his attention. He used, his, he used Samson's parents to warn him. And Samson ignored their, their guidance. He said, I want to do what I want to do. He, he refused to humble himself to their leadership. Later on, he got into that vineyard. And what did God send? In fact, I want you to see this. Go to chapter 14. It says in verse 5 of chapter 14, Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against him. In other words, he left his mom and dad and went over into the vineyards. Verse 6. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he rent him. That means he tore him apart as he, as he would have rent a, a small goat, a kid. Now, look, that's the most interesting statement in the Bible to me. You know, we're supposed to listen to that and say, oh, okay, so he tore the lion. You know, just like you tear a goat apart. I mean, I mean, how do you tear a goat apart either, you know? Maybe that was a common occurrence back in that day. Hey, Leroy, you want to go out and, you know, rip some goats apart? I mean, I don't know. What, how do they do that? As he tore up that goat. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father and his mother what he had done. I was, I'm as convinced as I'm standing here tonight that when he was in that vineyard and, it, and the Lord sent that lion, I think it was God's tool to say to Samson, what are you doing in this vineyard? Get out of this vineyard. You don't belong here. You're playing with sin. Samson, get away from it. Now in chapter 15, look at verse 15 of chapter 15. It says, and he found a new jawbone of an ass, and he put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. Now look at Samson's response. And Samson said with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps. Well, I guess so, a thousand men. With the jaw of an ass have I slain a thousand men. Hold it, Samson. The Spirit of the Lord came upon you. How about giving glory unto God for what He's doing through you? No, look what I have done. Long before there's something that's very visible in some people's lives, there is an undercurrent of a great deal of pride and the absence of humility in many a person's life. Look, friends, no one was allowed to speak into Samson's life he wasn't, he wasn't going to listen. He was full of self. He was proud. He played a risky life of sinfulness. And anybody who tried to warn him, even including God, he didn't listen. He was not humble enough to hear what God was saying. Not one word of God's glory was expressed. He gave himself the glory. What is the number one hindrance of your spiritual advancement? Can I ask it again? What is the number one hindrance of your spiritual advancement and growth? What is the number one hindrance of a church from expanding and, and, and reaching more people? What is the number one hindrance? It's pride. Pride will hinder you, hinder your, your life from advancing. 
and becoming everything it should be. And it wasn't until Samson got into that dungeon that he began to repent and say, I'm guilty. And, and, and God, I ask for forgiveness. And therefore, he was able to pull down that party and the wall and the balcony and 3,000 people were killed when he, be, he humbled himself before God. The story is told historically that the great preacher George Whitfield, one of my heroes, George Whitfield used to go out and he would preach to the miners, the men who would go down into the mine, and they'd come out in the early morning hours after working long, long hours, and their faces were covered with the, the soot of the mine, and you couldn't even see anything but just their, their eyes as they'd come out. And George Whitfield would stand as they would gather around, and he'd say, Men, I've come today to speak to you about your eternal soul. I want to tell you that God loves you. And he began to portray to them and give to them the gospel. And he expressed to them that they were all sinful people, and those men covered with, those, with the soot on their face. The Bible says the only way that anybody knew that things were happening was all of a sudden little rivlets of tears went down the sides of their face as those big, strong men began to humble themselves under the Word of God. It was Jesus who said in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, of heaven. Jonathan Edwards said, we need to remember that pride is the worst viper that's in our hearts. It's the greatest disturber of your peace and your sweet communion with Christ. Pride was the first sin that ever was. Lucifer. Pride is the most difficult sin to root out. It is the most hidden, secret, and deceitful of all lust. Friends, let me just say this. Pride's almost become a virtue in our day and age. Movies, TV programs, people bragging on themselves, people overcoming others in a sense of arrogance. Social media allows people to get on line and say, look at me, see me, hear me, here we go, like me. Now, look, I understand social media is a great tool and we all use it, but many a person has allowed it to become something in which they can exalt themselves. We show pride by excessively talking about ourselves. We show pride by expecting people to serve us. By acting like we're the authority on in, in every subject. We show pride by expecting everyone to agree with us and our own opinions. We show pride in our getting upset when somebody doesn't agree with our opinion. We show pride in our ignoring others who seem to be less intelligent than us. We show pride in our envying the gifts and abilities of other people. We show pride in our tearing down others so we can feel good about ourselves. We show pride in our being unwilling to admit our wrong in a situation. We show pride in our unwillingness to confess sin to God. We show pride in our unwillingness to bow the knee before the Lord, either in private or even in a church service. We show pride in our, in our rarely ever feeling under conviction from the Lord. We show pride in our absence of heartfelt worship. 
We show pride in our being unteachable. It was Miriam and Aaron who spoke to Moses and they said, Who made you the sheriff in Dodge? Why can't we lead for a while? It was the disciples who argued who would be the greatest in the coming kingdom. It was David who showed pride in numbering the troops of Israel. God honors the humble. He gives grace to the humble. The proud will stumble and fall. So what do you do? Well, taking a look at the life of Samson, to me, you can't help but say, Samson, why didn't you just listen to the Lord? I think it starts with us being submissive to and obedient to the Word of God. And secondly, live your life as a servant to other people. Paul said it to the church in Philippi, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant, and he humbled himself and became obedient, even to the form of death, even the death of the cross. Let this mind be in you. Jesus took a towel and he washed dirty feet. How can I keep from being arrogant? Walk into every room of my life and consider myself to not be the most important person in that room. Secondly, walk into every room and say, how can I be a blessing to other people? When you come to church, don't just come in and sit down and say, well, I hope it's a good one tonight. Hope he doesn't go too long. I've already failed at both of those. Come to church on any given Sunday with a sense of, who could I be a blessing to Who could I encourage today, tonight? Who could I put a smile on their face? Who could I serve? Live every day of your life saying, I need to serve my spouse, serve my kids, serve my parents. Years ago, I had a young man in my youth group that was, can I say this and you just trust me on it, he was hyper intelligent. He really was. And he knew it. Most smart, most intelligent kid in the school. Valedictorian, brilliant. One of those guys that hardly took a book home, just could listen to things and would read it, and he's got it. The kind that made most of us sick to be around. But along with it came an arrogant spirit about, I don't have to listen to you, Brother Morris, everything you you preach. I got some things I want to do. And he'd come by my office and talk to me, excuse me, argue with me about things about music, about what he could and could not do with his girlfriend. And he wanted to fuss and argue, and he, would, he was so intelligent, he would twist words around. And I was young in the ministry, and I found myself just trying to explain scriptures, and I didn't know exactly what I was doing most of the time, but I was doing my best. And he'd get me so upset, I wanted to pick up my office desk, here I go again, and just drop it on his head, you know? Couldn't seem to help him. But I'll never forget the night 
in a youth rally. As he sat in the back of that room, God broke his heart. And folks, when I say broke it, God broke his heart. God humbled him after hearing a message on the life of Daniel. When we gave the invitation that night, I stood at the front of the altar there to receive anybody that would come. There were kids that were coming to pray. And I looked back there in the back and I watched that kid. As he walked down the aisle, folks, he was so weakened by what he felt that night. He was so broken that he stopped three times coming down the aisle and he grabbed a chair to stable himself. He'd come a little further and, and catch himself. Just, just weep. Legs were weak. You say, why didn't you, why didn't you go help him? I thought about it. But as I watched him, I thought to myself, I don't want to interrupt whatever God's doing. As he continued to come down the aisle after that third time, the fourth stabilizing factor was me as he just fell on top of me. Six foot five inches of this lanky kid. He just <laughs> fell all over me. Buried his head on my shoulder and wept. And I thought, what do I do with this kid? I looked over to my side and I saw in a side room a piano with a piano bench. And so I just kind of helped maneuver him and navigate him over there. We got on our knees at that piano bench. And he put a literal puddle of tears on that piano bench. I had my arm around him. And I told him, it's no hurry. You take as long as you need. This is good. When he finally could talk, he said, I am so full of myself. I hate what I see. God broke him. Told him that I loved him. I probably showed him a scripture but basically, God had already done the deep work. And with brokenness, he cried out to the Lord that night. It's a blessed memory. The next day, at that same youth rally, God called that young man to be a preacher. He said, he said to me, Brother Morris, how do you know if God wants you to serve him in full-time ministry. I said, are you feeling the nudge to it? He goes, I kind of am. I said, he is. That's what he's guiding you to. He went off to Bible college, Christian college, and he graduated in four years. Well, you say, most people do. Yeah. With three degrees. Brilliant. A history degree. A Bible degree an education degree in four years. Recently, I got online a couple of times. I pulled up his church, went to his website, and I watched him stand behind his church pulpit and preach. I listened to him. 
And I could still hear that humble spirit coming out of his mouth. And I remembered when at one point he hit a fork in the road and he said, I don't like the direction of my life. And God broke him. And God's now using him. If you could ask Samson, where did it all start? He'd say, I had an abundance of hostility and I had the absence of humility. I just didn't listen. Now you have the opportunity to choose in your own heart tonight. Do you find something in your own life? Did the Holy Spirit sit down and talk to you tonight and knock on your heart? Are you a complainer, a griper, angry person? There's something else that the Lord spoke to you about. Then in just a few moments, we're going to stand. And I'll explain to you what I would encourage you to do. Because I know after a message like this, it's not always easy to respond. Because you don't want everybody in the world to be looking at you and thinking, Aha, yeah. No, don't worry about everybody else. Be concerned about only one. And that's the Lord God himself. Would you bow your heads with me and stand with me as you do. Father, I pray that you'll give wisdom in the brief continuance of this service. Help us to hear from you what we need to hear. Lord, help marriages and homes and this church. And may our lives be marked by the Holy Spirit of God. May we be forgiving people, sweet and gracious people. Help us to be humble before you, recognizing that I need to serve others just like Jesus did. God, help us to be what you'd have us to be. We ask it in your holy and wonderful name. Our heads are bowed. Listen carefully. In a moment, I'll ask our pianist to be prepared to play. I want to encourage you to consider maybe a couple of things. Maybe this is the easiest thing for you. If God talk to you about something tonight you need to talk to him about could I encourage you just maybe to sit back down lean over the pew in front of you and talk to your Lord tonight and say Lord you spoke to me I needed that thank you for the reminder you gave me what I needed to hear tonight just do so tonight right there at your own pew if you say Morris I'd really want to get on my knees then help yourself You want to come forward and find a place to get on your knees? There's no hurry. I'm not going to put the Holy Spirit on a time uh, clock. You do what you need to do. You say, I really need to talk to the Lord out loud. Then go find a private room somewhere if you want to. Or go sit in your car if you need to. You do what you need to. But don't look around the room and see what others are going to choose to do. You take time with the Lord tonight and say, God, you challenge me. Father, finish this invitation. Our response to you as need be. We ask it in your holy name. Our heads are bowed. Would you find that place to pray right now as she begins to play? God bless you. I'll be quiet. No need to re-preach anything. You do what you need to do all over this room.